the conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody exclusive. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. No wonder he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get the battle. Hello and welcome to episode 221 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Alex Jones. Jack Carper will be joining us shortly, but being back at work does seem to have gotten to him. That's two weeks in a row now. Uh, he's at least going to miss the start of news in a weekend. How is he going to cope without knowing what's going on in the world? Alongside news in a week, we've got some Spurs talk. I, I think the work is getting to Alex as well, because he'll be dipping out after we've spoken about Spurs. But... Uh, We've got plenty to get into there. We've got a bit on the mad Arsenal-West Ham game that we had yesterday. I would like to say for the record, I did ask Steve Brown uh, if he wanted to appear to talk about this. He came on after West Ham came back against Spurs, if you recall, but nowhere to be seen after this one. We've got a bit on the latest... It does. We've got a bit on the latest England squad. Trent dropped... Luke Shaw in and plenty more. And then we've got a bit about Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, where uh, we'll ask Jack to compare him to Frank Lampard. So plenty to get into there. Not too much news of the week this week, but I'll start off. Brazilian politician's cunning plan to fight COVID. He wants to spray hand gel from aeroplanes. <laughs> 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 walking down the street he's getting splatted with hand sanitizer um, yeah female motorcyclist in Japan goes viral for good looks turns out he's a 50 year old uncle <laughs> there are some pretty scary things over there That'd be, things like that being one of them uh Man waiting on final paycheck from ex-employer gets five hundred pounds of oily pennies dumped in his driveway. <laughs> oh, that really is pennies, quite... oily pennies. <laughs> uh, dad arrested after bringing toddler into elephant habitat at the California Zoo. So that's one where he's just watched like the Jungle Book and seen that the elephants are friendly or something. <laughs> we had this, didn't we, where we spoke about what was it like a walrus or a sea lion where they always look really like nice and cute in like kids' cartoons, and you see them in real life and they are horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Did, did did he not did he not 
was he not aware of the whole Harambe escapade? Well, that was gorillas, so... I know, I know, but it's... They're friendly with the elephants are friendly. Kids kids in animal cages don't end up well. We don't talk about Harambe without uh, saying RIP, and I hope you dropped your shorts in commemoration there, Alex. (laughs) Uh, I was on the Harambe side. Police sees real gun disguised as Nerf toy in North Carolina drug raid. You don't want your kid picking that up by accident. No. Um, I'll come back to this other one. Uh, a winery will pay you $10,000 a month to work and live rent-free in Somalia. Oh, I'm not sure. Somalia. I'm not sure about Somalia. I don't know if you've seen the... Uh, there's a South Park episode where Cartman gathers them all to go over to Somalia and be pirates after he's watched um, Captain Phillips. So uh, maybe you could do similar. Um, well, one, I'm not a fan. I, don't, I haven't really watched South Park. I've only seen one episode of South Park. And two, wow. have you not seen Black Hawk Down? Somalia is a hostile place. Well, you're getting 10 grand a month to go there, so I don't think they're paying you that because it's a walk in the yeah. park. Yeah, yeah, 10 grand a month to a dead man's worthless. Um, in 1944, a physician began ejaculating thousands of deadly parasite eggs in the name of science. Uh, uh, what? That, that sounds like it belongs in the... <laughs> That's that, that in your like, own time. That sounds like it belongs in the Alien trilogy. Um... Florida man with only God can judge me tattooed on his arm was caught by cops outside a Tampa townhouse using a pickle to penetrate his rectum while masturbating. Just an average Saturday night. Florida, We've all been there. <laughs> uh, you know, we know Jack has. We know Jack has. Uh, Shemima Begum says she'll have a foot-long meatball subway to celebrate if she's able to return <laughs> to the UK. <laughs> oh dear me. I did have to oh, check that was a real headline, but yeah, it was. Um, that's incredible. And finally, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League jumps from the third worst to the fourth best DC Universe film on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so, not much to say on that. I won't give any spoilers for anyone to see it or bore people if they have no interest in superhero movies. But I did see a tweet around this, and I did speak to Alex briefly on Saturday. Well, the first tweet I saw was they were saying that without even trying to mean to be controversial, maybe the world actually does need more four-hour films, which I don't know how you can say that without being controversial. But the next tweet I saw was it said, if you could go back and you could get a four-hour cut of any film in history, which would you choose? That is... Oh, that's tough. Um, Actually, while you're thinking, me and Troy spoke about the the four-hour film thing, and we were saying that as much as you can look back and say that most films you've seen of a similar length are good, we usually go into those with at least the knowledge beforehand that they're going to be good films. Like, you sit down and you put three hours into The Godfather or whatever film, with at least some knowledge that most people are telling you this is a good film. Yeah. When you get like a three-hour film coming out of the cinema, it is usually a bit like, Ugh. 
it's hard to convince people to go to see a film in a cinema usually when you go over that two hour 15 minutes so four hours <laughs> cinemas would make a fortune especially yeah. if they started being militant with the snacks i'm not sure well you say they might get make a fortune but they'd be able to get less screenings and less ticket sales in a day yeah i was thinking on the amount they they charge almost a ticket price for a large coke uh, i suppose yeah yeah what's your four-hour film then alex what's the first one that jumped to mind for you immediately i, I went to like uh like my favourites as a kid, which you just want more, more, more. And I was about, you know, I obviously when we spoke at the weekend, I said like the Lord of the Rings, obviously the extended edition is four hours long, the return of the King. Um, potentially, I think, I think a few of the, the first Avengers film. Now I, I know it's not the highest rated, uh, I know it's not the highest rated Marvel film, but I remember the excitement around that and it was the first time we saw like a a combining of these big films all together all in one go and the excitement around it as a kid and all you wanted was just more you just wanted more you didn't want it to end like that was one of the films that I remember as a kid that I just could not wait to get on blu-ray or dvd as yeah, soon as it was, it was only 2012 out. yeah I know but you know, that was, <laughs> I was you know, still teenage yeah. Was it 2012? Yeah, I it was earlier than that. No, it was 2012, first Avengers film. I know because I was robbed during a uh, quiz we did over lockdown, so I remember the film quite clearly. Oh, um, dear. But that's another story for another day. Blame Sean and his poor film knowledge. Um, You're still shaking. You're still shaking from that. I can feel it. Well, I mean, the film was billed as Avengers Assemble or The Avengers, and he denied that both were real film titles. Alex would have backed me up if he was there I would have have. one of the first that came to mind for me and it's hard to word this without sounding like I'm saying another film was the first Purge film and not the film the first Purge but the first Purge film and that was mainly because I thought they had such a good concept and they didn't do a lot with it that the jump from adding an extra hour to adding an extra three hours is yeah. so I don't think we need many four-hour films. I tweeted while I was watching Justice League last night saying, well, I'm enjoying this so far, but I do also have two and a half hours left. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. That's a good choice. I see where you're going with that. Probably the, the new Justice League, for anyone that is going to watch it, it, it is a lot similar to the first Avengers film where you got probably two hours of setting up each person's backstory and then you got about 40 minutes of them teaming up as the Avengers and this is probably if you kept all the backstory and then had more of them fighting as a team this is what you get with the new Justice League so there you go any jump to mind for you TK? Four hours of that's my boy <laughs> crikey <laughs> uh, Keenan did come around on the accent but I'm not sure even he's uh lasting that long <laughs> I think in the uh, next movie bracket um, Lord of the Rings is going to be included so for someone that doesn't like them I mean, if we thought Bridesmaids was long Keenan could have a hell of a time sitting through Lord <laughs> of the Rings so you may want to tune into a podcast just for that reason and then before we get into the football I do have 
this week's Movie Madness matchups to ask you. As we're going into round two now, there'll be three episodes dropping a week down to about 20, 25 minutes long for each episode. <laughs> so I can see Jack's joined just as we finish News of the Week again. So um, That is some I'll weird timing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll ask uh, TK and Alex your thoughts on these matchups. So first of all, The Dark Knight against Bad Boys 2. It's not even a question for me. Dark Knight all the way. Not even a question. Is it a question, a question for you, TK? It's insulting. It's insulting that they're even the same, spoken in the same breath. <laughs> well, yeah, it is the Dark Knight, but not by that much for me. But there we are. <laughs> I'm not um, it. One of the matchups, maybe of the second round, and the next one is uh, Gladiator against Man on Fire. <laughs> now we really are. Gladiator. Men from the boys. Gladiator for me. I could have told you that would be Alex's pick before I even asked the question. I could have, I could have picked his pick. <laughs> if, uh, if Denzel was going around with a sword in Man on Fire, Alex may have been charmed. He goes for a bazooka. <laughs> it, it does help. It does help that I haven't seen Man on Fire. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's done it with such chest as well. God, yeah. <laughs> TK not being on this bracket, but still watching alongside. I mean, I am watching a lot. I am watching alongside. I, I, but I have missed a few unintentionally. Man and on then Fire was one of the first episodes. I know I, that was one of the ones I missed, but it's kind of like I didn't want to fall behind by trying to catch up. So I do think it's on Prime as well, so uh, you might be lucky if it's still on there. Wh- which one is it for you, TK? Are those two? It is still Gladiator. But I do stand by Man of Fire as an underrated gem. Yeah, and then third this week is Casino Royale against Kingsman, and. Stuff. That's I think a good this could be one where the criteria goes against Casino Royale, just getting ahead of time there. Yeah, on on the action basis, you'd have to say Kingsman, but so, on the uh, slickness, you'd go Casino Royale. Yeah, just in case of which you prefer, I'm assuming Casino Royale for you, Alex. No, I, I oh no, I the, I prefer, you, you prefer Kingsman. I prefer, to I pre- I, no, 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 I prefer Casino Royale, but yeah. I respect that Kingsman is the better action film. If that makes sense. Which do you prefer, TK? Have you seen Kingsman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I watched it on the pod. Um, That's tough. Look, I I wanted... uh, What Bourne film did you do? Supremacy. I wanted that for instead of Kingsman. I was a little little heartbroken when it didn't. Um, To be fair, I think that that did win the popular vote, if I'm not mistaken. The other one won the Electoral College, I know. Yeah. Um, I'll go with Kingsman just Casino Royale probably is a better made film but Kingsman's got a bit of humour and stuff in there as well so we'll go with that and uh, last thing then you got some style matchups there Christ. I know um, last thing is we do have uh, the wild card running at the moment on Twitter if you go to there there's currently 2% separating Jeez. the top of the poll um, Edge of Tomorrow was put under risk and Abiding Citizen with the two films that went through the wild card. Logan is currently topped by 2%. I did run a poll, but it was like in the middle of the night where Logan went through, but I think there was like eight people voted, so deleted that. Started again with all of them in. So, uh, 
Oh. Tomorrow's bo- I don't know what's going on there, but I think it's Jack. <laughs> Sounds like a dement or just Me? <laughs> yeah. Were yeah. you moving around? Nope. Silent. You were lit up. Um, but yeah, Ed- Edge of Tomorrow is currently on 18%, Logan on 42%, and Laura Biden Citizen on 40%. So uh, there we go. On to sport. That was a tidy 15 minutes we've done there. So uh, Spurs, Alex, you've uh, joined us for the right topic. Um, what I've done is during a, during a day off today, Jack, something is going on with your mic. Is someone being burned? I'll go on mute. There we go. Yeah, you, you're lighting up like a Christmas tree. As much as I'd like to have blamed Alex, it, it wasn't him on this occasion. Um, so what I'll do, I, I've paraphrased uh, Jose and Luis's interviews, and I don't know if you want to answer each point collectively as we go through, or if you want me to break down the interviews and then go through it. Uh, do, do, do one point at a time, and I'll try and keep it. Do, do one point at a time, and I'll try and do it sharp, short and sharpish. I, I didn't actually see the interviews after the match. All right, well, so I've got, I, rage, I, I, I rage quit. So this is a live, live reaction. I mean, I certainly go through and watch them. They're both about eight minutes long. So there is plenty to hear there. So if we start with Jose's, um, both started with the same way. They asked both, both the kind of big question, how has that happened? And they both said, good question. And then just kind of stared down the camera. So <laughs> it was an interesting start. You're you're better with the names, TK. Do you know who it was doing conducting the interviews on BT Sport? It wasn't Des, was it? It, it? it was a recognisable voice, but I usually pin it all on Martin Tyler, and I know obviously it wasn't him. <laughs> so um, whoever oh, it was, they were they were they were quite pushy with um, the interviews. So that that was the only thing that uh, mm. made me think. I'll see if I can. Uh, find those out before uh, before we get there but yeah I'm not too sure who it was but they were certainly uh, pressuring them so Jose said uh, one team decided to leave everything on the pitch were humble and committed my team and he kept reiterating he kept saying my team because I think he didn't want anyone thinking he was kind of distancing himself um He said, my team, that didn't look like a team that were playing an important match. If for any of them it's not an important match, then another attitude is needed. He said, to say that I feel sad is not enough. I feel sorry that one team that is not my team won the game based on attitude and compromised. And my team needs to know that football is not just about a team that is more talented than the other. So that was the start of the interview. Yeah, uh, that 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 was Mourinho, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Larice was yeah, a lot yeah. more scathing, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I don't disagree with what Jose said there. Um, I mean, I am on the camp of I think there's both sides. If you are going to spit it between the team and the manager, I think both sides are at fault. But I don't, I don't disagree with what he was saying there. There was a lot of there was a, a real lack of drive until the very end in the squad. And it, it did the, the entire team watching the match, sort of just the way they sort of went about it. It was very lacklustre. And I, I felt like there was an attitude problem. Yeah, it was just, it sounds petty, but 
little bits of body language here and there, the reaction to going one, like conceding the first goal, like not really reacting to it in terms of, oh, we need to, you know, be careful yes. here. So he said, he said, I told the players the risk of a bad attitude. I told them again at halftime. The players only realised the game was at risk when they scored the second goal. Yeah. He said, I never liked the feeling of some guys in football that deal in I won or lost. He said, rather that we won or lost. He said, I belong mm-hmm. to this team. I feel bad that we didn't bring the basics of football or life to the game, respecting our jobs and giving everything. On behalf of my team, in spite of some of them that don't feel my emotions, giving it the Sherwood there, I can only apologise to the supporters and I hope that the players feel the same way that I feel. Yeah. yeah again, he's, he's, he's doing very well there. He's saying all the right things. It's going to be, you know, a lot of what the fans want to hear. It's part of me. That's what I'd hope to hear him say, but I'm taking it with a pinch of salt still in the respect that, I still think it's it's both sides of the both sides of the of the coin here that are the issue, not just so you can say all the right things after the match, but well, he's giving it the some play. <laughs> yeah, he's singling out players by the time we get in a motorway. Some might. Yeah, yeah. Some he's singling out some players. I would obviously be really, really interested to know who they are. Because well, it's I Larice it, goes a bit closer there. Where I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why so, I'm holding back. Yeah, so Larice and I believe Larice came out after uh, Mourinho. So he starts off the same way. They said Hugo, how has that happened tonight? And he said the same. Good question. Um, he said, I think we're all more than disappointed. It's a disgrace. I hope everyone in the changing room feels responsible for this situation. So that was how he started off. And then he said, we're a club full of ambition, but the team at the moment is a reflection of what's going on inside the club. Hmm. Yeah. They did ask him to elaborate on that. And he said, I don't need to elaborate. He said, I said enough there. Yeah. See, that's, that's quite interesting because so for for one, I know obviously a lot of Spurs fans um, and um, opposition fans think that Loris is you know is is not what he was and he's not having he's not as good a keeper as he once was and he, that's right but he is one person in the change room where I don't doubt his attitude and his drive I think he really does want to win being in the goal be, being the goalkeeper of the uh, being the main goalkeeper of the club it's hard to sort of show that on the pitch because obviously he's they did in goal. ask him about that later in the interview when yeah. you forget that he's the captain I think everyone kind of yeah 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 captain nobody, until you realize <laughs> yeah nobody doubts that I mean we saw how he reacted to against Sun in the middle of the match and I don't <laughs> doubt that he's definitely got quite a bit of venom in him in the changer room I you know it's I, d- I would have actually have liked to have seen a bit more changer room footage to see if he did have a little bit more in the way of like outbursts and a bit of more of a commanding role in the change room. Because if you think back to that Spurs documentary, yeah. disregarding disregarding that one bust up with Sun, you didn't really see too much of a captain presence from him in the change room because obviously Kane was there. Well, the players that were most really vocal in that documentary that. were the ones that didn't play much football after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at Deli Ali was the main the main culprit there. Eric Dyer, who eventually came back in. <laughs> For, for right or wrong reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. 
he said yeah, hey, mentally. I, sorry. Yeah, no, God, it's, I, I'm interested to sort of. I, I don't for him to sort of say what's going on inside the club. I don't think there's any doubt that from the you know the the hierarchy of the club, you know the the management, the um, the the board and the chairman. There's all obviously a lot of drive to being successful there. So by that he must be. I can only assume that he's talking about players because. I think it's very evident that obviously, even from a business perspective alone, if they're just looking at it like that, they want to be right at the top and they want to be winning trophies. They need well, to win trophies, for Christ's sake. He said, mentally, we should be stronger and more competitive. I didn't see that on the field. So if you don't respect the opposition, this is what happens. He said, the way we play is just not enough. One thing is to come in front of the camera and say you're ambitious. It's another thing to show it on the pitch. To behave as a team is the most difficult thing. Whatever the decision of the manager, you have to follow the way of the team. If you follow the team only when you're in the starting eleven, then you'll pay later in the season. Sheesh. And there are some shots which he says later where he, he directs this quite firmly at the people who aren't starting week in, week out. He said, we had great moments in the past because we could trust the togetherness, but today I'm unsure about that. So the message from the manager was clear, mm. and that was to attack the game and score a goal as early as possible to make the game easier. It's painful for me to feel like we didn't have the desire to kill the game. We can only feel sorry for the fans because every year they are full of hope, which I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> he said, we all belong to the team. It's not because of three, four players stepping up that'll be enough. On the bench, there's an influence to have. Trading sessions are the same. It's not only stay there and complain, the most important thing is the badge. So I, I paraphrase that. He says a lot about the attitude of people that aren't starting week out. He says about the attitude of, of, of the players dragging them down. He says, look, even if you're on the bench, there's a lot you can do. Um, I know from an Arsenal podcast, they were sat behind Joe Hart in the North London derby, which, I mean, I don't think he helped himself with his Instagram story, but <laughs> they said that during the, the derby, he was the only one on that Spurs bench that was making any noise. And when you think about there being no fans in the stadium, he did say that he calls Harry Kane H, which he said he just heard him saying, go on H, next one H. But yeah. if he's like, saying that hell. the players are sulking, that it's true, be, though, because like, when you, you think look at the likes of Deli Ali and the, they're kind of the players that you're assuming he's digging out there. Because Joe's actually said yesterday after the game, he said, we have three 16-year-old players on the bench today who it, they're living their dream. And he said, you need people in football that are living their dream and their energy is helping the team even when they're not playing. So like, can you it's think easy. Yeah. Just think how yeah, tomorrow it's going to be to be sat. Say something's not going quite to plan for Mourinho or the team. You kind of your head goes down after 15 minutes because you know that you can't bring anyone on to change that because the options on the bench are going to be bringing the team down with their attitude. So it's almost like they're losing before they even step on the pitch. If they get a good start, they'll win. But if it's nil nil 30 minutes, their heads will start to drop. So I think shit, we haven't got any options. It is a bit of a cop yeah. out because the players on the pitch obviously are still the ones that are scoring the goals or stopping the challenges. Yeah, but, but yeah, but obviously you look at the starting lineup on Thursday and there was a lot of 
players that have been features off the bench or just not yeah. at all. And so that started. So uh, I think the, so the starting lineup was Kane, Mora, Winks, Lamella, Ali, Sissoko, Sanchez, Dyer, Ore, and Davis. I think if you look at that squad, obviously one of the culprits definitely there is Deli Ali, um, whose body language is at- atrocious at the best of times. So what you, about Serge Aurier? You, you name him. Serge Aurier, I think he is going to be another one um, that has an attitude problem. And I think that is, I think that was, he, I mean, he disappeared for a little while. That was one of his first games back, I'm fairly sure. Because well, he, um, he, he, he then wasn't included had a bus stop in the squad yeah, yesterday. Yeah, that's that's what you want to look at. You want to look at the comparison to the players that didn't feature at all um, at the weekend. Yeah, that's that. I found that quite interesting, and that's also disappointing because he's one of the players which I would hope that had a better attitude and had had a better level of composure. I'm just having a look at the lineup now at the week to see who. uh, They they said it was obviously Gareth Gareth Bale. Gareth Gareth Bale. You know, he's somebody else who. I would have thought maybe Loris is digging at him. But again, obviously, he may be carrying a bit of bad attitude after being subbed off at the North London Derby at the weekends. Um, I'm, I'm not making excuses for I'm not making excuses for him by saying that, but he's another culprit, which I'd say never. He did make bench at the weekend, didn't yeah. come on though. His his bench demeanour is is as bad as I've seen Bale. Yeah. And not even for the yeah. fact that he's grumpy, but just the fact that he looks like he's having a time of his life. He's <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is that bugs me when I see him on the bench? And it, it, it's it's quite it's it's quite disheartening, really, because it's complete contrast to the last time you saw him in the. It's complete contrast to the last time you saw him in the shirt. It's he's sat on the bench now, and it looks it's like he's got that aura of superiority about him. Like I like without a shadow of a doubt. All right, he's been to Real Madrid. He's done it. He's won the big cups now. But you know. I just I don't like that superior aura that he's got there, and I can get well, even when he got subbed off at the North London derby, it wasn't it wasn't like a, I'm gutted to be going off because I love playing football. It was a you're taking me off. I'm like the best guy here, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's not the kind of attitude you want to see. So you know you'd want to potentially call him out. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard. It's hard to see because I look at the rest of the squad and I'm trying to look at who the culprits are. I mean, I'm looking well, at a few... Lo Celso teams. stayed in the team for Sunday. Um, he did. Vinicius came into the side. Um, Lo Celso, Vinicius, he's had eight goals and eight eight goals and eight appearances now. So, you know, it's it's not... It's not Harry great. Winks I mean, it, and Matt Doherty both didn't make the squad either. Yeah, yeah. Doherty's not really been the feature that we want this season, really. He's not turned into the... A lot of people sort of... I thought he'd be one of the better signings, but we were surprised to see Wolves let him go. But Giovanni Lo Celso... Um, Sean wasn't praising I, him. Uh, no, no. He were, he was awful on Thursday night. But do you know what it reeked of? It really reeked of a player who hadn't had much game time and all of his first touches, he looked so nervous on the ball. There was no composure whatsoever. Um, you know, it's so you can give him, you can give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in terms of he needs to reintegrate into the squad and find that composure there. I mean, you'd expect, you wouldn't expect that from a player who's got a ton of experience and, 
well, Gareth Bale, for example, a lot of game experience, a lot of composure. That confidence is instilled in his in his in his game. Full stop. Lacelso, on the other hand, he's still got a long, long way to go. He's still finding his feet in the Premier League. I'm still uh, passable. The bloke couldn't hold the ball on Thursday. I know, I know, I know. That's he, but like I said, he's he, he wasn't really in the game, and those those first touches that he had were were, were terrible. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't really know who else to look out really as the, the standouts. I mean, Bergwijn, maybe. I, I don't think he's having the happiest of seasons. He's um, definitely- we shouldn't forget, by the way, that Spurs spent over 60 million on Lo Celso. I just want, I don't want that to be forgotten. <laughs> 60 million pounds. They spent a year. It was, over it was, time, four, it was like a forty-five million fee with a fifteen million loan fee up front. I'm trying to remember when we got him. Now, did we get him? We got him under Pochettino's 2019, 2019 yeah, it was, it was under, the loan with the yeah. option, and then they activated the yeah. option for forty-five. Yeah, I think he was one of Pochettino's boys, young up, young Argentinian talent. I think he they were a, as well. A by the way. I don't want any euros to be uh, misconceptions. <laughs> Sixty million pounds. Yeah, yeah, that that price tag is going to be weighing over him as well. He needs to really try and pull something out of the bag for us because right now it's looking not great. I, I don't know if it's a thing with Aurier, but or if it's something he thinks about. He's one of the most successful players in that dressing room, outside of Bale and Larice. Larice, the World Cup trumps in terms of the number of trophies. He won 11 trophies while he was at PSG. Yeah, that doesn't count, though. He might think... PSG. <laughs> it doesn't for most of us, but... He might be thinking, look, I'm more than good enough. I was started in this team. And he had criticisms of his attitude in that documentary where Jose said to him, basically, I don't trust you. I feel like <laughs> if I had you on this pitch, you're going to make a mistake. Can't believe that. <laughs> So I think the, the Larice one, they asked Jose, have you seen it? And do you agree with what he said? And he says, I've not watched it, but he says he's a very mature player. I'm sure I won't disagree with anything he said. One of the main takeaways, and you, you maybe won't get this so much without seeing the interview, is Larice to me, felt like a player that was firmly behind the manager. Sounds like <laughs> A lot of the kind of things coming out of Spurs are, do they trust the manager? Do they agree with what he's saying? He reiterated in that interview several times. The manager told us, go out there, get a goal as early as possible. He didn't say then kind of keep your foot on that. It was get a goal early and then this game's easy for us, is is what he said, essentially. But he, he did want to reiterate several times that the players that aren't playing need to respect the manager as much as the players that are on the pitch. Mm. Yeah, they, they, they did ask Jose after the game yesterday. They said that after a tough week, I'm sure that kind of makes up for some of it. And he did say, "Look, I don't think we should have to go out to the Europa League and lose a North London derby to get a win against Aston Villa." But he did look like a man who kind of he, he says his little comments, doesn't he? But he he said some things, Jose, in there where he said. I'm upset for my own career. And he said along the lines of, 
for me, every match is as important as the other because of how you, my job and things like that. And I don't know if that's something that you read anything into or not, because he did reference well, the like, safety of his job there. Well, go sort of just outlining to try and summarise briefly. Like I sort of obviously agreed with everything that Loris and Mourinho said. I think what I was trying to say about their problem being both the team and the manager. Obviously, there are a lot of players that are unhappy with how the season's going, their their level of involvement in the team. I mean, there's something they could do about that. <laughs> but but it, ultimately, you know, I think what we're getting to a point with now in terms of, like as we said, the way Mourinho likes to play, it's very, very negative. And when you're not, when you're in a squad that is playing quite negative football um, and, you know, your competitions are slowly slipping away from you or you're not a regular feature in the squad, it's not lively. You can see where the morale drops. You can see where the attitude gets a bit lacklustre. The players on the bench, their drive to be better integrated into the squad and involved in games regularly, that drive isn't there because it's not a sort of type of football that they want to play. So I, I suppose a better way of putting it would be just to say there's a number of players in the squad which aren't buying into the Mourinho way of playing, which ultimately, I'm not saying that the Mourinho way of playing is the right way that Spurs need to go to progress. I'm not. But ultimately, you, regardless of the way the direction of the club's going, the manager is the manager and the players have to buy in or they have to go. So it's a... Double-edged sword, that, because the Mourinho style also doesn't work unless everyone is buying into it. Exactly, exactly. I think the the only times that we've seen it, like, completely work is is obviously his first reign at Chelsea, um, his Inter Milan, and... (laughs) You've worked more places than it has. You forget... His first reign at Chelsea wasn't defensive. It's got progressively worse, hasn't it? it as well? That's the that's the thing. It's like I think that's why it's shown up so more because as everyone's moving forward with possession based football, he's moving backwards even further mm. and further to try and no, he's he's doing the opposite of keeping up with it. He's he's doubling down on the defensiveness because he knows that he can't keep up with this high energy football. He he's rarely been given the freedom that he had at Chelsea to say one of the things that we praised in particular, and I know we said this before when we spoke about Man City earlier on, was he was very good. At, yes, he was spending money, but he was also spending money on the right players in that this is how I'm going to play. And so he was buying the players that were also buying into his football. Yeah. And that was never going to happen at Spurs. So him coming in, if he was expecting that, then he was sold a dream. Because yeah. I guess when, when you look at Drogba coming in, there's not, many people more than you want to boot a ball up to when you're under the cup <laughs> for them to bring it down and hold it up as well as he did well, you take the cup out but not as successful I don't think the final part of this topic was can Spurs do better than Mourinho and interested to hear what you think on that Alex because well, I, I I think it's, it's whether it's more of the question if the fit's right. And ultimately, the fit isn't right long term. I think everybody was in agreement when he took over that it was going to be a car crash ev- eventually. I don't think he was ever going to be you the were. right fit. 
No, I know. No, I said no, no. My my words were best case scenario. Best co- best best case scenario was that he gets us a trophy, gets us over the line. Don't know what that trophy is going to be, but he gets us over the line somewhere, and then it's just a car crash after that. And to be honest, that's exactly what might happen. He might scrape the he might scrape the league cup, and then I it's all going to fall Levy to pieces after the that. No, he didn't. But a cup's a cup at the end of the day. You know that's why. But ultimately, like I said, I I think it was fairly obvious that his style of football and the squad that he inherited. It was going to be a very, very cla- a very much clash of styles, and we've seen that slow that slow transition to one brief period of success, earlier stages of the Premier League to it's sort of fizzling out now. Where that I can't believe what I've heard desire. <laughs> you just said a cup's a cup. If we go back. About five months, you you referred to uh, it as only the FA Cup. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> I said the FA. No, I'm quoted as I'm quoted say I'm quoted. We did. I'm quoted. I'm quoted as saying. I'm quoted as saying the FA Cup is should be the most important cup in the land, and and Jack followed me in that. Alex, but as I no no, what I, I said was Arsenal winning the FA Cup. I said Arsenal winning the FA Cup means nothing because you've won the FA Cup before and gone nowhere. I said that's what I said about Arteta being given time, and I said whether I agree with it or not, he was being given time by the board because he'd won the trophy, and you said. It's yeah, and like I said to you at the time, and I still stand by that, the cups that you want are the Premier Leagues and the Champions League. That's where you want Arsenal to be again. Well, yeah, but beggars can't be that's, choosers. That was my point. That was my point. Like right now, as a Spurs fan, uh, right, 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 right now, as a Spurs fan, I just want a trophy, which I've said before, you know, we're not in the Champions League. We're out of the Europa League. We're not contending for the Premier League. The only chance of us being silverware, a bit of success this year, is is now the is the is the League Cup. So, like I said to you, that's that's what I that's it's not what I wanted at the start of the season. It's not what I hoped for, but I'll take it. Is that um, all worth it though? Is that uh, actually bought, got more defensive? Well, if 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 he if he, if he if he if if put it like this, if we won if we won the League Cup. If we won the League Cup and somehow scrape top four, that's not happening. I'd I'd say I'd say it was worth it because you know it's easy. So we've got top a cup. Four. We've got we've got we've got a cup. Yeah, and, all right. But if you win it and, and don't get top four, which uh, looks mm, more then, feasible. No, then I'd be scratching my head. Yeah. Then I'd be scratching my head a little bit more. This is and, the thing. And 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 it's it's the thing as well. It's like in terms of if he didn't get if he didn't get the cup. Sorry, if he did get the cup and we didn't get top four. You would feel like there is an expiry date coming. Like it, I think it's mm. more likely the following season it would fizzle into a lower league position or a similar league position, and potentially no cup or a, at best a similar cup run, which is obviously not the direction that we want the club to go in. So it's yeah. It, like I said to you, I'm not like going back to the original point. I think I don't think Mourinho. The original question that Luke asked is obviously yeah. is can Spurs do better than Mourinho? I think it's it's hard to look at Jose Mourinho and say nowadays you'd say that there's plenty of managers that are better options. Um, it's, I think it's a bit disrespectful to say that yes, Spurs deserve better than Mourinho because what I'm saying is a club that hasn't won anything 
is better than a manager who's won pretty much everything. Um, so, but if we're talking about it in the the right the moment right now, and we're conceding that Mourinho is not shot what he wants was and shot to pieces, then you've yeah, three you, years of this. You, you you'd look at you'd look at the squad that he's got at his feet, and you'd go, yeah, I'd want I'd want be I'd be wanting much much more out of that squad, way more. It's, it's weird because we said things similar when Poch went. And it was essentially, rather than getting someone to kind of continue Potch's work, you essentially blew it up and went the other way. And yeah, having having Potch in charge was bigger picture football where, yes, the results aren't always going to be there, but you hope that eventually you're going to grow and get to the point where it's all worth it. Mourinho is like the opposite, isn't he, of big picture football because he's very much... Results driven. It seems strange to say that you shouldn't be results driven, but he's very much it's, game by game. You know, we'll do what we have to do to get through this ninety minutes, rather than you, the process it, it, as we hear all the time. Now, it, what it is is it's you're on a lad's holiday. Jose Mourinho is all in on one night, and <laughs> Pacino is the process. You know, not going too ridiculous and playing the long game, getting through each night, getting the most out of it. That's what it is. <laughs> Crikey. Spurs need to get Graham Potter in the door, don't they? <laughs> I'd take that. I don't I'd think Brendan. he's... I'm not sure he's the guy, but yeah, so, I mean, someone like Brendan made more Brendan's, sense following Brendan's a, Brendan's, a, Brendan's a better fit, but it would be the... You could almost say, in terms of, you know, what we're laughed at for at the moment, which is the lack of silverware and bottling it at the last minute... He's the perfect fit for that. So, <laughs> do we not? Do we not count Scottish trophies? He's got, uh, he's got an invincible season under his record. Yeah, we don't count Scottish trophies. Wow, Jesus! Don't tell Stevie G that. <laughs> I don't like, see Liverpool getting too excited about him winning with Rangers. Do you see the, the news today that uh, it's been kind of quashed pretty quickly? That apparently Xabi Alonso is set to be announced as the Bruce Munch Gladbach manager. Yeah. Let's see. I, I didn't so, realise he went confirmed. into management. He, he he's no. a coach, isn't he? Uh, Sociedad at the moment. Yeah, that's it. So the reason I think it's not been confirmed is supposedly they've not been approached yet, uh, Sociedad, to say we'd like to uh, take him as manager. But no. and not to go over it now, but there's an interesting piece for uh, Liverpool fans out there. Um, where Gerard has done an interview and then it's been done into another article with uh, Rafa talking about his treatment of uh, Gerard and why Gerard will appreciate that now, which is quite cool. So if you've seen that, TK. I saw the uh, headline and thought I'll go and read it later. Yeah, essentially when Gerard said, didn't he? That he didn't think Rafa liked him <laughs> while he was at Liverpool. Yeah, I saw the headline was something like they don't appreciate it when they're young, but they appreciate it now. So, which sounded very much like a father that had been a bit of a cunt to his kids for <laughs> when he's older. What Rafa's saying there as well, and then he says uh, Gerald's on the way to showing that he's a good manager, which I thought was harsh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there we go, um, Alex. I don't know if uh, you say you've got to get back to work or not. I do. I do. Well, you won't have a chance to talk about uh, one of the greatest comebacks in Premier League history. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll bid you farewell. 
Are you talking about Newcastle Arsenal? That's up there. <laughs> anyway, cheers, boys. Adios. RIP Czech Teote. Um, Jack, obviously you weren't here. I did ask Steve Brown if he wanted to come on to talk about this West Ham game after he came on after uh, Spurs West Ham, but nowhere to be seen. Didn't fancy it, did he? No. Um, he did say something that he, he didn't want to hear that lad talking about Lampard. <laughs> he didn't really but he may have been thinking it um, if we go on to the wild game we had at the Olympic Stadium yesterday then so Arsenal come back from three goals down to get a point against West Ham which sounds a lot more a lot less impressive when you get to the team at the end of it but an entertaining game one that we've lacked really in the Premier League for <laughs> The last couple of months we've been complaining about these boring games. Pre-game, I was particularly interested to see how Party and Jacker would cope against Rice and uh, Suchek, which was an interesting one. And as a side note, after the complaints I had about Match of the Day 2 last week with Genus, uh, Carlton Cole and Alex Scott were on there yesterday. <laughs> they were really good if you go back and watch it it was quite a good rapport they had there with uh, our man Chappers but the real I thought Arteta, yeah I thought Arteta did a bit of a Brendan against Jose where he overcomplicated things because he knew the manager a bit more than uh, the other ones in the league he was spooked by Moisey he was because he put Aubameyang on the right uh, he brought in Pablo Mari uh, brought in Lacazette and Chambers, which has been vindicated on, I would say, for those two. I don't know what your take would be with the switch to Aubameyang on the right and Saka on the left, because it's particularly odd when, well, Saka's done so well on the right and Aubameyang clearly prefers being on the left. Do you think he thought one of the fullbacks was weaker, and so he'd rather have a Bamiang up against the weaker fullback in how he's been recently, because that would seem odd then putting a Bamiang up against uh, Creswell over Sufar when you'd say Creswell's probably been the better one this season. Careful. Don't know if West Ham fans would agree with you there. It just didn't make a lot of sense. It was, they're both, it, they're it both was very weird. Easy. Yeah. I think he, it, like you said, probably has overcomplicated it, did the, uh, did the pep. Yeah, it was really, really odd. Um, not, not won't spend as long as we did on the Arsenal game last week for anyone worried about that. Um, <laughs> Lingard, peach for the first goal. We'll, we'll get into a bit more about him later when we do the England squad. I think one of those goals you can complain about maybe not getting out to the player quick enough, but you kind of do have to hold your hands up, don't you, and say fair play, good goal, and we'll react from there. You, you can't stop that level of goal all the time for 90 minutes no nice technique as well the way he cut across it lovely yeah he he, he did get some credit for the touch there Lingard I'm not sure he's intended for it to bounce up the way it did but if we're going to give leeway to someone I don't mind giving it to him mm. the the issue then and Arteta pointed out the same is what like 90 seconds later quick free kick which 
John Moss allowed. Um, the West Ham fans should maybe take note of that with the critique they've been giving the uh, chubby John Moss. The chubby John Moss. It's a night when when you're losing and you see him struggling to keep up with playing, like <laughs> a free kick. It's the most infuriating thing in the world. Um, but I mean, I don't think he had a great game yesterday, but I think that was across both sides. I, I don't think he got any big decision wrong, and if he did, I'd say we should probably feel a little worse off. He lets them take the free kick quickly. Tierney is he's got his back turned, complaining so. It's on him partly there and the rest of the defence. I think Louise is the only one that's actually watching and he's on the other side. Shit from Leno as well. <laughs> awful, awful from Leno. And he, he's got that in his locker. He, he seems strange to say it after that goal. He is usually, his best trait is he is a good shot stopper. Mm. It's usually his uh, kind of when he's coming for crosses and things like that is when he's looked shaky previously. But I think what was lost in the Emmy Martinez Leno debate, and Martinez has been far from flawless this season, is that Leno is a top tier keeper in this league. And he does have a mistake like that, though, and that was pretty awful. Um, Pablo Mari is, is a weird one. But I don't think he's a bad defender. He, he's horribly slow, which is an issue. But usually when you see rotation, it's not the defence. And considering he kept it in for the Olympiacos game, I thought it would be weird to, to drop Gabriel there. Very, very odd. He said, look, play You're a few right. games. But it's like, he won't play Gabriel and Mari together because I don't know if it's a real thing or if it's a myth that two left-footed centre-backs can't play alongside each other. <laughs> but Arteta seems very much spooked by this if, if even if that isn't the case so they won't play together and so he keeps Louise in there I don't think Mari had a bad game but I don't think he's Gabriel I, I, I said about Gabriel being a front foot defender last week and uh, Mari seems far more reactionary I don't think you'll find him out of position often I don't think you'll see him making a howler of a mistake but he is he is just Average, I think. It's like you've got rid of... um, Sorry. No, I was just going to say. It's like you've got rid of... um, Who's the guy who plays for Olympiacos now? Socrates. Yeah, Socrates. Like, you've got rid of him and you've got... I was a big Socrates fan. I know you were. (laughs) But he was bang average. And it's like you've got rid of him and you've got someone else who's just as average as he is. It's not bad. He's not amazing. He's just average. I think Socrates was more prone to a mistake because he, he was an aggressive defender. Mari cost us 2.5 million. So you, you, you can't complain too much at that. But I, I think he should be a backup defender. So that was just a... I don't think Arteta uh, got that right. Um, the third goal is horrible defending. They beat the man. They're in the ascendancy. They crossed it in. Antonio's headed it down. Um, I don't think Suchek meant to knock it in, or if he has, then he's done well to think fast there. Worse that Antonio had me, gave me some hope where he didn't celebrate. But despite <laughs> clearly seeing that Antonio wasn't offside, I was spun out because I was like, why isn't he, why isn't he celebrating? Is, is he offside? 
And then you saw the replay and it was like, oh, okay, that was never in doubt. From there, that was when Arsenal really kicked in. And it shouldn't take you going three goals down to kick in, but it is what happened. Um, it's the best game I've seen Lacazette have in an Arsenal shirt, I think. Sheesh. He must have had a chaos movie pre-game or something. <laughs> or he went there and they told him like the ice cream machine broke in at McDonald's. And so he just had that little bit less. He had that little bit more in the tank. I thought he, the way he was dropping deep was great. They tried bringing on uh, Mark Noble a bit later to try and counteract that because he was having such an influence doing it. Um, and yeah, he was just everywhere. Lacazette yesterday got the one goal, the other one was taken away from him uh, and given to Suchek scoring at both ends. But I don't know, I don't know why it took that long to get going. Erdegaard, I think, added a bit more to his price tag. Um, I don't know how you thought about his game, TK. I usually go to you for your opinion on him. I say that like you've been critical of him, which you haven't been. You've probably been no. the most positive when we did sign him, but Mm. Um, I know last week we, we were debating about how much you'd pay for him and whether he should be the creative outlet that Arsenal go for and I don't know if yesterday changed anything for you or not I thought he was really good in that second half um, tricky one being he's never going to be your guy when you're losing 3-0 as you were in the first half and things were going against you I don't know that he's going to be the guy that stands up but as soon as you did start getting back into it in that second half you could see how much more lively he was Um yeah, I think between now and the end of the season, you're going to see kind of like an audition from him. I think he's going to carry on going as he is, so I, which is both good and bad for you, as you said. His price yeah. is really going to go up, but hopefully more sort of uh, performances like that will convince you to sign him, whereas you don't want him to go like the Sabios way. <laughs> no, I know the competition isn't great there, but um, Arteta has said that in terms of leadership, he is one of the uh, bigger ones in the squad with what he demands in training and kind of what he does on the pitch. And he has just been made Norway captain and they've got mm-hmm. a nice crop of players coming through there. So it is interesting that I know not every leader is going to be screaming and shouting. No, no. But there are different ways on there's the Tierney way, which we've seen. And I think Aubameyang is just, he was given the captaincy as a lead by example kind of way and Erdegaard's probably somewhere in the middle of those two um, second goal then I did see uh, Connor Palmer tweet constantly and he said that Craig Dawson scoring is inevitable <laughs> and that, that did seem to be the case here because uh, oh no peach of a finish oh god it's one of those own goals you watch and you think well, what were they actually trying to do there? Lacazette like was looking, thinking, crikey, if Aubameyang had a couple more of them this season, he wouldn't be getting a game. <laughs> Callum Chambers, I mean, he had a really good game. He was good, yeah, in, Arteta said, for his height. I don't know if I've ever seen a player, and I, I, I'm not saying this like I've been his biggest fan. I've been particularly negative around him. Um I've not seen a player judged as harshly by one game because Jefferson Montero butchering him as a 19-year-old <laughs> Swansea away. Even Tyler brought it up on the commentary. <laughs> it, it's brought up every single time he plays. <laughs> <laughs> when he 
whenever he does kind of the the stuff for Arsenal TV and things, there's there's a clip of Koscielny bringing it up where he's talk, they were talking like their usual things like biggest fears and Koscielny guessed Jefferson Montero for Callum Chambers <laughs> in, in the clip of Vox saying, uh, joking about it in his car, just phoning up Callum Chambers and just saying his name down the phone and cracking up. <laughs> but this was like four, five, six years ago and still no matter how well he plays, he is judged solely off a game at right back against Swansea that many years ago. It's mental. No, I didn't think he had this sort of game in the locker, to be honest. I remember when he first started playing at Arsenal, I thought, OK, we've got a player here. Yeah. Fell off, and I thought, no, he's average at best, absolutely yeah. best. I don't think he'd stand out in the Championship. Uh, and then this game was, was like, yeah, unbelievable. We played defensive midfield for Fulham for a season and got their player of the season. And it's um, when I always spoke about the Norwich defence last season and how much you can praise the defence that ultimately got relegated. Hmm. But he got their fans player of the season that year. I do think there's a, a player there. I don't think he's top tier, but he can certainly do a job. He's someone you keep around for a squad option. Um I particularly like the crossing, and it's a lot like what Tierney does, where it, it's like Tierney, Tierney probably does pick a player out better, but Chambers yesterday was like what the commentators would call a good area for a cross. Mm. And he was, I'll put it there, you do the rest, pretty much. And you got the Lacazette goal from that, and you got the own goal from that, and just, just low-driven crosses, which are so much harder to defend the one we were criticised earlier in the season, having like 40 crosses a game, where we were floating it up on the back stick to Aubameyang, who isn't particularly notorious for his headers. And no. then the backup was like Saka. It was, what are you doing here? <laughs> so this made a lot more sense. Um, I've got down here on my notes, uh, Antonio doing Antonio things. Which him missing that shot, I thought they were correct on commentary where they said he actually gets less stick if he doesn't touch it. The fact that he touches it and then hits the post is worse for him. But even still, I thought they let him off a bit lightly. When yeah. Saying, Look, I mean, it's coming in very quick. Yeah, I, I didn't think... I thought that was... A, if most other players, they're going to say either he should have gambled more, so therefore yeah. it's not just like he just gets a toe on it, he gets there and finishes it. I I can't really let him off that. I sh- he should have closed the show the show there and then. Colton Cole gave him a bit of jip, um, and I think he gets away with it more because he does say like he's his mate. But he says like, if I miss that, I'm I'm not sleeping for a week. And he says like, <laughs> I don't think he will be either. You got Cole's to be scoring that. Short memory. Well, he said he does say on there. He says um, I've got experience in missing these kind of chances myself. <laughs> he he actually he was really good. Um, he always comes across well, actually, can't goal, to be fair. Yeah, it was like it was the perfect level yesterday of uh, them joking, but also having like the analytical way of going yeah, into it. And yeah. There was criticism where, and I thought with uh, Mika Richards, and I do think he's better in the studio than he is on like a match of the day kind of thing. But it was when Emil Smith Rowe had the game. Against Chelsea, actually. Um, so Jack probably won't have watched Match of the Day that week, and it was one of the first times I'd watched it all season. <laughs> but Ian Wright was saying this nice 
bit about how he knows uh, Snuffbro's dad and he remembers him being dropped off to all these different places. And then when he was kind of breaking it down, Mika Richards kind of jumped in and said a joke about, oh, you are old, basically. And so he kind of just ruined all the momentum of the bit they were doing yesterday. But <laughs> it was good on match because they were doing the kind of breakdown of this. He was quite self-depreciating Carlton Cole and Chappers did mention, um, you know, Suchek is actually the first player since 2010 for West Ham to score an own goal and score in the same game. And there's a patch of silence and they have like a close-up of Alex Scott who's like trying to hold back a laugh while she's looking at Carlton Cole waiting for him to acknowledge it. <laughs> but it's the best I've seen for a while. And Antonio, yeah, should have killed the game there. And it would have been very Arsenal to give you that sniff of hope and then to take it away from you. And I was glad Arteta brought it up in the post-match presser because he did point out that was from our throwing that they had that chance. Jesus. Um, but then, obviously, West Ham missed them chances. Us, West Ham doing West Ham things. And I was, was going to say, you're saying it's lucky <laughs> It's lucky West Ham or West Ham, because yeah, know, we're lead. Pepe comes on, and he's his own worst enemy at the moment by the fact that he's playing well off the bench, which Giroud spoke about saying it's one of the worst things you can do as a footballer. <laughs> um, and off his right foot, I'm always a bit off when players get particular praise for using their weaker foot. But cross yeah, it with his right he... foot, peach of a cross, and Lacazette puts it in. Were you oh, happy yeah. bad when that went in? Because I know your agenda. What do you mean? Lacazette, I said I said last week, I thought, I think Lacazette should be starting over Aubameyang at the moment. I, I don't think Aubameyang should be in the starting lineup the way the way he's played recently. And I don't think until he's dropped that it's going to make a difference. It made the difference for Lacazette where he was dropped for five or six games and then he came back in and he's been much he's been a much better player. So are you back, whether it's back fully supporting now? I, I mean I, I never complained when he was scoring goals. I did still refer <laughs> to him as the pig and I think I withdrew that in the Chelsea game where I said, look, he's no longer the pig. Um, <laughs> I've tried to blank that so far in my mind that I don't even remember you saying that yeah no, he, he, he's been much better and it, it is a thing where players <laughs> not just Arsenal it just feels like it when it's your club but when you've got that one year left on your deal they do show this kind of vein of form where they trick the people at, at the top to give them an extra deal um, like, William tried it at Chelsea and it didn't work yeah. but it did fool Adu um, <laughs> Lacazette uh, Aubameyang I think that's been his form since he joined Arsenal really <laughs> it just so happens now I, I don't really know what it is but it was like it's, it's like he's just been worked out and people don't know what to do and I, I, I said before that how clinical his numbers are, he's not particularly a guy where if, if you'd say if the chance falls to him in the last minute, you're going to put your house on him scoring. Mm. So he's been very iffy this season. Oh, I think you need to run out of the side to really kick it in. And in the space. little cameos we've seen from Martinelli, I'd love to see him there. The difference is, and we'll, we'll move on uh, just after this, is... Um, 
Arteta seems to, in the wing positions, since Emil Smith-Rowe's come into the side, he almost has like wide playmakers on there rather than direct wingers, which I think is why Pepe is not playing, even after how well he has been playing. And you've had Erdegaard or Smith-Rowe on the wings on the left-hand side, and then you've had Saka on the right. So I think that's because on the right-hand side, Bellerin doesn't overlap as much, and so you're making up for it. And on the left, Tierney overlaps just that much so you don't need someone to be hugging the touchline mm. and I think that works against Aubameyang because when he's been playing a striker he's been drifting so far left that there's no there's no option in the middle and then he's not being as clinical as someone like Mel Smith-Rowe has in terms of creating chances so yeah I, I don't think he should be starting at the moment but it's very hard to keep out the guy you've just given a 250 grand a week contract to and is the <laughs> captain of the team so there we go um, looking at this season's thought if you could have seen ahead by say six to eight months before would you have wanted him to be given this contract it's it's it's, it's a tough one because Cause if, it's he not leaves, like if he leaves we're going to be getting we'd be getting just as much stick yeah for letting him leave so like we got the stick for letting Ramsey leave for free, but then if we gave Ramsey that contract and he gets injured, then you get the stick. I, I think if Aubameyang wanted to stay, I don't think Arsenal had too much of uh, a question as to whether they give him the deal. Um, yeah. As much as 250 grand a week, I'm not going to say sounds a lot, it is a lot. In terms of a guy who previously has been putting in 20, 30 goals a season, it's much cheaper than what the other guys who are putting up those kind of numbers are reeling in when you look at your Agueros and you look at even just your, your talisman players, your Pogba's and these kind and of And what you're going to have to spend to get one in. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I think Lacazette shouldn't be given a new deal. I think, if anything, the last couple of games show us that's the kind of profile we should be looking at. If you're overloading playmakers in behind, then you get a guy that links them I mean, if we can have Firmino cheap from Liverpool, maybe my agenda will change there. <laughs> that's the kind of guy you're putting in that position for Arsenal at the moment if this is the way you're going to play. Um, once the 3-3 had come in, I was, I was more nervous than I was at 3-0 down that it was going to be a hiding. I put money on West Ham to win because I, th- I thought it was that inevitable. For fuck's sake. Um, well, I saw them at like 12-1. to 1. I thought, hey, this 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 could be money here, but obviously not. John Moss, if anything, I think could have given us two pens. There was the Pepe one; he's hauled down, would have been soft. But the Lacazette one, where he chips the keeper and he's pulled back, there was that there. And when uh, Mr. Pilau was running through at the end, I thought all my chickens were coming home to roost. I thought, please no, please don't do this to me. <laughs> Um, uh, Connor did actually message me after the game yesterday um, and I I do feel this needs to be said oh Uh, no he said uh, this is why it annoys me that you and Harper don't rate him he does a run like that so often I'd actually changed my answer from the episode I was on Declan Rice is the best holding midfielder in the league. The East End Yaya Torre. 
<laughs> I mean, that was as good as what he said on the pod, in all honesty. It was, yeah. He's just kind of drawing a line underneath it. Underline. Yeah. He did then say, I've heard Mason Mount was shut out against Sheffield United, so we'll get on to Chelsea, I know. <laughs> um, and then I did say, look, I, I actually don't think John Moss was too bad. And Steve messaged me after the game saying, I don't know why West Ham fans are getting on about John Moss so much. I, I don't think he had a bad game. I thought as far as so Premier League rest go, it was pretty average. It was pretty standard. Not too much to know about. So there we go. Um, I think you, you christened it uh, Islington Istanbul or Islington <laughs> or whatever you said. I, I didn't really want to look at what was going on during that game. But, hey, we take it... Um, a wasted opportunity for West Ham. Yeah, that that was the question I had at the start that I just realised I kind of summed up with. Do you think it, <laughs> who do you think should be more happy at full time? Do you think Arsenal should be more happy with coming back? Do you think? I mean, I do think Arteta is right saying, honestly, we we could have scored a six or seven in the second half ourselves, but he said we shouldn't be in a position where you're needing to score six or seven to win a game. No, if you look at it from a completely on paper view at the time it was what 10th against 5th so I guess you would be happy as an Arsenal fan wouldn't you but the point I went into it with no takes you up into night yeah I mean who'd have thought when I was looking at Spurs beating Villa I was thinking hang on if you hold if you hold on here we stay ninth. I don't think either fans were happy, but it's hard not to, it's hard to feel the one that's hardest done by when you come back from three goals down, isn't it? So, as they say, that was one for the neutral. Yeah, it certainly was. Even as someone involved, it was nice to just see an entertaining game of football. Yeah, we've so, seen so many nil-nils and shutouts and things like that that I guess a bit of excitement every now and again. Well, it feels odd because. I was saying even some of the Arteta games earlier in the season, we were saying it about Jose, and we were saying sometimes you you might rather lose a few more games, and look, we've lost more than a few games, but <laughs> you, you'd rather have the entertainment factor because ultimately, if you're not going to win the league, then you do want to be enjoying the football you're playing. And I've had that more recently with Arsenal, but... but I don't want it to be like that every game, but it, it was refreshing <laughs> to see a game of football where both teams were going for the neck rather than just settling. Because I did worry that once the third went in, West Ham might lock up and say, look, we don't want to lose the game here. And Arsenal might lock up saying, look, we've come back from three goals down. Let's not, let's not throw it away now. But both teams even carried on going for it then. So plaudits to them. Uh, the England squad was one of the big talking points of the week. Uh, we've been critical of Gareth Southgate here. Um, I think once the World Cup wore off and we were maybe a bit more objective about it, we could see that there were some things we'd do differently. And as we approach the Euros, it's maybe as contentious a squad selection as I can remember there being in terms of so many players that people passionately believe should be in the 23-man squad. So as we approach this set of friendlies, which I don't think anyone thinks should be happening, 
the biggest headline was Trent Alexander-Arnold being dropped. Uh, Southgate said, I don't think he's played to the level he's found in the last couple of years, but I do think he's getting closer to that now. He's taken steps in the right direction. I've had to make this same call to Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier in the past, and their response was a good one. I'm certain Trent will play a big part in the future. Southgate did kind of go out of his way to make it clear he has been dropped. I think we don't usually see. No, I think that he wanted to explain his decision because before now you'd think that Trent was one of the first names in the squad. Yeah. Uh, I think he's probably just trying something new. I mean, we've got San Marino in Poland. It's not exactly... That's that's what I mean. Usually they'll say, we've got so many options here. I think Trent's shown us what he can do over the last couple of years or whatever. And so this is a chance for us to just see what the other options we have are. I, I think I think it could be a part of Southgate putting a bit of management into it, really, where he's managing yeah. the play. He said, look, you either start performing now or I'm not going to take you to the Euros. This, And just so you know that I'm serious about this, he dropped out of this squad. Like Do you not think it, under, uh, it kind of undermines it and we're all have the same player on our lips every time we see an England squad announced? Is that Eric Dyer continues to be selected. <laughs> and it's not like we've got a lack of options at centre-back because we're going to talk about the John Stones being brought in, but you, you look at the players that are dropped out. It took a while for Cody to get in. We've got uh, Lewis Dunk that's not even getting a look in. You've got Tarkovsky. You've got all these other names. You Eric Dyer continues to get on the <laughs> team sheet. See, I, I find it baffling as well. And the only way that I've been able to rationalise this in my mind that Southgate thinks that it's centre-back, he needs like players that have proven they can play on European nights, um, have played in Europe before. And that makes the right-back dropping of Trent a little bit saner because you think you've got Trippier, who's not had a great season, but then you've got Carl Walker, who has... And then Reese James, who was also a decent season as well. But then we had but, Stones being dropped when Dyer was still in there. No, I know, but don't forget, Stones, it's been a revelation this season, but before this season, he made way too many mistakes and everyone had written him off. But Dyer's been doing that for the last, like, I know. <laughs> yeah, a good, like, two months this season. Honestly, where... I agree with you, and I'm just being devil's advocate here, really. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, um, the only, that's the only way that I've been able to rationalise it because there is no other way that you're not taking either even Ben Me you try over Dyer. I mean, Eric Dyer has played I think four games either this season or four games since Christmas and he's he's lost all of them. So it's not like, <laughs> but like I think if you're Trent you feel you're feeling hard done by, aren't you? I think you are, but at the same time I think there's more wealth of talent at right back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think the pool is a, a lot higher standard. I mean, at the end of the day, the last time they both played for England, Trent and James, James had a better game. Yeah. He was playing the right wing back position better than Trent was. However, I mean, I, I think it is just a man management side of things. I've, he's obviously got players that he trusts. And this is the thing with Southgate, as much as he wants to get away from if you're not playing, you're only going to pick on form. He also will pick the players that he trusts. That's why Jesse Lingard's back in the squad after having a good couple of well, games. Well, this, this, so 
on on Lingard. So Lingard came back in, and uh, I'm sure I took the quote down. Yeah, so Lingard, he said about him, and I thought this was strange as well. Um, so he said when he was referring to uh, Luke Shaw and John Stones coming back into the squad as well, he said, Jesse of the three is a bit more fortunate to be in the team. He said, Luke and John have performed over a period of time. We've got injuries in the attacking areas that have opened up an opportunity for Jesse. But I have to say, his performances for West Ham have been excellent. It just seems a bit unnecessary to say that. And we spoke about this on uh, Thursday, TK, when the squad was announced. That I don't think any of us were expecting Lingard to be on the squad list for the Euros. But just to kind of single him out and say he's fortunate to be in is, is a weird one. Again, I think it's just him being more open than most managers. I think, I think we all have done that before. I know, but we all know this. We all know that he is probably the most fortunate. He's just telling us what we already know. I that's think... what I mean. I don't know why he says it. <laughs> I mean, I look at it and I think, really, who can score in our midfield? That's what the one thing we miss. We've got all these lovely midfielders, and with Madison injured in Greenish. I don't know. I think midfield. When you look at, as you've just said, Madison there, and then you've got the likes of Mounts, Grealish, Bellingham, etc. Foden. Yeah, Foden for sure. Um, I think we've got as good of midfield scoring options as any, so I wouldn't say that's the that's the issue. I just think if Southgate was being this honest each time, then we'd be hearing a lot more. And I don't want to just keep digging at Eric Dyer because it's just too easy to do <laughs> but if he was doing a press conference after each one going you know Eric I've got to say he's fortunate to be in it's just a weird one I, I, especially when you see Lingard quite clearly for a time his confidence has been as low as any and I know there was uh, there's been some uh, publicity about kind of what's been going on behind the scenes that may have contributed to his lack of form as well. With so one of his parents has been ill and so he's been caring for his uh, yes. yeah and so he's been caring for his younger brother or sister. It just seems it just feels like you could say a lot more. We know the quality of Jesse, we've got a lot of quality in that area, which is why he's not been in. And even just saying with the way the squad's opened up, he's got an opportunity to show here rather than it being I mean, come on, he's a bit fortunate to be in. Just, uh, I thought it was just odd. It was like he took a truth serum before <laughs> he did this press conference. <laughs> we do sometimes ask for managers to be more frank and open, don't we? So yeah, it's it's there was when we had it with Arteta and he spoke out about Xhaka and he spoke out about Pepe. Then it was well, why have you spoken out about William? And it just seems a bit like that here. It just seems a bit <clears> selective <throat> about what he's being open about. For what it's worth with his Trent one, I think if it is a psychological thing or a man management thing, I think it, he's picked a good person to do it with. I think Trent will respond well. Yes. Um, not like he doesn't know he's not been in good form, though. And I think, as he, as he alluded to himself, his form is getting better. So it could just be that he carries on that trajectory anyway. But It's as, not been an individual one for Trent either, has it? Liverpool as a whole. Yeah, yeah it's true. He's been one of the... At the start of the season... That 
in a, in a March, you can be two places behind Liverpool. I, I'd have been I'd have been dancing. <laughs> and and the thing is though, I mean, the, the dire thing is the issue, isn't it? Because if it is on form, the Lingard is as in form as anyone, so he has to yeah. be. In. And Trent is in not as good form as Walker or Trippier, for example. So those two would have to be ahead of him in, in the pecking yeah. order. So it, on, on that basis, if he's being true to it, then that's I, you, I don't think you can really argue with those selections. No, it is just having people like Dyer in there does then kind of pull the rug from under his feet. Yeah, the Luke Shaw would make perfect sense in terms. I of, mean, he has to start, doesn't he? He's yeah, in terms of form, he he's been right up there. I, mean, I know they referenced it during the Spurs game yesterday that maybe um, that target might feel a bit. But there's so many options of right back that he doesn't have a look in because particularly earlier in the season he was in great form I know they included Jude Bellingham where they said they don't know the situation yet as to whether he'll be able to play because of the quarantine rules with Germany but he said he wanted to include him there just so he knows like you're a part of our squad and so if you need quite, to replace him that's quite telling I think he, he can yeah. By the way, it's been announced today that oh, him, okay. him and Lewandowski have been granted like special best by Bayern and Dortmund and are both buzzing about it because I mean there's no one ha- there's no one happier about the Trent news than Liverpool obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded when when they said last weekend that uh, that Saka went off injured. I thought this was Arsenal's way of saying yeah yeah we don't need you to go to the international break but I mean it's a pretty pointless set of internationals as there we go but so you've got Henderson what about Sancho Jordan, in that, that case Sancho is actually injured so he oh, right. um, he, he's been given discompensation uh, by Dortmund he's gone to Dortmund uh, not to Dortmund to Dubai where you get your magical physio treatments and, uh, <laughs> trying to get him back for the uh, Man City game so um, that that kind of emerged today um, Grealish injured Pickford injured so Big opportunity for Dean Henderson or Nick Pope to kind of put a marker down. Um, Probably not going to see much action against San Marino. No. Um, and then finally, the the other main talking point before we get on to Chelsea, Jack, I know uh, you might be itching there, um, <laughs> is Ollie Watkins being selected over Bamford. I, I thought I'd taken down the quote, but I hadn't. But he essentially said... We like the profile of uh, Ollie Watkins. We, we've not had a chance to work with him before. And look, I'm looking forward to seeing him being brought into the squad. Um, he said, both Ollie and Patrick, uh, their goals have been good. We like the personalities of both. Ollie's a player that we've had less interaction with in the past, so it's going to be good to get to know him. We like his pressing, the speed and runs in behind. He's got some improvement to make in linking the game. But for his first season in the Premier League at a big club, he's done exceptionally well. I really like Ollie Watkins, but if you're criticising the way he links the game and you're thinking that's what you need from an England striker, surely Bamford's your man there. Because he's got the goals, he's got the runs in behind, and he's also got the link-up play. I mean, form. I mean, if he's going to talk about form. Yeah. He is playing well, so it's... Better than it's Ollie Watkins, not scored in four games, I don't think. I think the thing is with Bamford, I think he's a brilliant striker and he scores goals that are very difficult. Like There's one week, I can't remember who it's against, it might be Brighton. 
where he like left foots it curling into the opposite far corner. That was six, a great goal. Yeah, it was just that's the only way he would have really scored from that position. It was just brilliant. But then he also misses a lot of easy chances. Do you not think, in terms of profile, he's the closest to Kane that we've got? I tend to agree, but I think Watkins is a bit more powerful as a runner. I think but so is Calvert Lewin. So it's like if you're having the options mm. in a squad. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's it's not a bad problem to have, but that was the thing because Bamford, as I just said, I thought with the kind of profile there, if you're having someone with Kane who's had his injury problems and you're trying to look for a way, because that was the issue with Vardy, wasn't it? We had a great striker there, but Kane was going to be the number one and you struggled to find a way to have Vardy in without shoving him on the wing. Mm. And then he wasn't an alternative when Kane was out, whereas Bamford does look the most clear alternative. Mm. But it's it's a it's a weird one. I, I don't think we're going to find much more out. Maybe it's just Southgate just prefers Ollie Watkins and would rather see him have his little cap dished out to him. Say he's an international. Well, his thing about integrating him to the squad. I mean, if he is going to consider him for the Euros, maybe it's a good thing to have had him at least be on the scene for one yeah. one camp or whatever. It's no harm done, I don't think. It, it's it's a big it's a big squad for a couple of players with the with the ones out. We mentioned uh, Pickford being out. Um, I saw Carl Darlow has been sulking to the press saying that Steve Bruce and that have cost him his chance at going to the Euros as one of the three keepers because he's been dropped there. I don't think being in part of a Newcastle defence was going to be doing you many favours anyway. For the I don't know if you under the illusion he was assuming <laughs> before. So, but. The others, when you look at uh, Grealish being out and you look at Sancho being out, Sterling is going to be a shoo-in, you would imagine. It's going to be a big squad for Saka and Rashford, I think. Mm. Yeah, true. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Or, if he puts Saka at left-back, which he's done previously, when you think he's been playing on the right now for most of the season. So I wonder what will happen there. There we go. I think that's as interesting a conversation as I've had about international football as can be possible because there really is no need for these uh, ones that we've got coming up. Maybe that's why Gareth came out with a couple of uh, remarks <laughs> to live enough. But there we go. Um, just finally today, um, Chelsea went through in the Champions League in midweek. Uh, Great performance against Atletico Madrid. I think rode out the storm of what about twenty minutes that Atletico had at the start of the first half, and then pretty comfortable from there. Um, now, Tuchel wasn't a popular appointment with Chelsea fans. I think is is fair to say. Some being the allegiance to Frank. Um, I tweeted out that it was unfortunate that a lot of Chelsea fans actually will have missed that Atletico Madrid game after they <laughs> refused to watch Chelsea again after Frank was sucked. <laughs> but Jack, when you look at the way Chelsea are playing now, I think I said in the week, I saw a tweet and it was saying that if you consider, say, Man City and Bayern Munich to be the best two teams in football at the moment, who's the third best? And the consensus opinion in the replies was Chelsea. Now, I mean, that is interesting. Because you're obviously playing well and it's, do you attribute that 
how much of that do you attribute to Tuchel and how much is then an indictment on Frank in the way that he had Chelsea playing? I think it's two separate things in my mind. And I've been thinking how to answer this question ever since I saw you pose it the other day. And I was thinking, look, I, I look at it, and it with Frank, we knew what we were getting. We knew we were getting a manager who'd only been a manager for a year and he'd only managed Derby before. And I think you look at, when you appoint, if you appoint Frank Lampard and you appoint Thomas Tuchel, you expect two very different things. I think with Frank, you expected there to be some teething problems. You expected there to be some learning on the job. It was, I think most of the animosity towards his sacking was kind of born out of we were told that this was a project. He was going to play the youth and we were going to stand by him. And it just pissed us off that they treated a legend like that in our eyes. And I think that's what it is. However, I said on the podcast, the podcast we had the day of the sacking, that it's actually one of those sackings that when there's a double whammy, when we sacked Mourinho the first time around, you think you love the guy and you don't know who's even going to be better than him. But this time around, I love the guy, but the chances are we're going to play better football under Tuchel. And I, I, I seemingly have got my wish. And I think when you look at his track record and you look at his career so far, Tuchel, I think he's been a manager since, what, 2007? Augsburg second team um, and then made his name at Dortmund didn't he and then yeah came through Mainz then to Dortmund and then to PSG and I think it's, it's crazy because the way that we look now we look like we're never going to lose we don't even look like the, the only team that have even looked like scoring against us in the last seven games was Sheffield United yesterday when you go um, back I actually wanted him to take over from Wenger when uh we yeah. him and then he agreed the deal to go to PSG. The, the only thing that I'd really... I mean, I know he made his name at Dortmund, but the only thing I'd really heard of Tuchel was him falling out with Neymar and Mbappe. And it was, I, I listened to a lot of Andy Brassel's Trans-Europe Express because it's just interesting to hear about the European leagues and what's going on. I hope on. they're paying us for that, that shout-out. <laughs> <laughs> um, they yeah, need a plug. <laughs> I listened to that and they've only ever had negative things to say about Tuchel, really, because of his handling or handling of say, Verratti, Thiago Silva and the likes at PSG. So I wasn't really expecting much. And like now, you, you are right. It's one of those, it's just the only question I have with Chelsea at the moment is if we can score. If we can score in the first half, then we win the game, simple as. But if we fail to score, then we will draw the game. But 14 games unbeaten as Chelsea manager it's, it kind of speaks for itself doesn't it I is think... it not the thing we said with that um, Henri where he spoke about Pep where he said Pep's job is to get you to the edge of the area and then it's on the team to put it in the back of the that net is, that is 100% and my dad's it's funny because my dad's like a very old school Chelsea fan and um, he's like oh just not exciting enough we need to put balls in the back of the net and I was like look the whole way that Tuchel has created this team is to not concede goals and then just bang that you've got 200 million pounds worth of talent up front that are going to create something for themselves. It, whereas Frank was very much a style of, right, let's just fucking stick everyone in the box and hope it goes in. And I've got, I've got a comparison um, of when you look at the first 10 games in charge just to see with how things went there. And Tuchel tried 24 different players across those games. Lampard had 26 in his first uh, 10 games in charge. In terms of the academy minutes, 
I think there's about 100 minutes in it total, so next to nothing across all of the academy players there. Mm. So as much as Frank got the credit there, and I do think he deserved it for taking a chance on some of them, I think a lot of it was they were clearly just good players, and so he was picking the best players. Um, I think that the academy minutes thing is going to be skewed because... Christensen obviously is an academy project, but you would class you wouldn't class him as a prospect. You would class him as an established footballer now. So, but th- the, this is the thing I was going to say. Oh, you can you go, mate. You go. I was going to say the key difference um, from what we've seen is uh, the kind of value of the players on the pitch in terms of purchases. And you look at so apparently the the average fee of all the players put together during Frank's time. Uh, before he was sacked this season was 443 million. That was the the worth of talent in the players he picked. And then you look at the ones that uh, Tuchel has picked, 579 million. So what we speculated on was he's brought in essentially as as much as his accomplishments are. You've put the money on Kai Havertz. You've put the money on Timo Werner. Go and get. You go and get the worth out of those players mm. and seemingly he is at least forcing them because Havertz is probably I didn't watch the Sheffield game um, but the two games before that the Alesco game and I can't think who it was you had in the game before Everton. that Everton. so those were probably the two best games you've seen Havertz yeah. having a Chelsea shirt he didn't he only came on like the last 15 minutes yesterday so um, so yeah, so it's not it's not easy, not really good stretch on that. But I think I mean, the Atletico one and the the one before. Um, yeah, under under Frank, it was funny because we were convinced that we need an entire new defense. But oh, fucking really good shit, Christensen's woeful. Uh, and then you look at them now, and they look like world class defenders. They look like I I and it's I'm not even being insolent when I say that. The only time we've looked like conceded in the last six games since we last conceded against, I think it was um, Southampton and Minamino, was against Sheffield yeah. United. We've, we've played Liverpool away. I know, obviously, they're in their bad run. We've played Tottenham. Um, we've played two United. games United and two games against Atletico Madrid. And we haven't even looked close to conceding one goal. So, yeah, Hoddle say that Chelsea were going to miss the reassurance of Christensen in the Atletico game. I thought, for all, <laughs> I mean, I praise him. Yeah. I've not heard many Chelsea fans say that he brings um, reassurance to the defence. And, and now he does. I mean, under this system, I think the defence is very protected because Frank obviously knew what he was trying to get at when he was pushing his wing-backs fully up the pitch. Um, but then that would leave two defenders exposed and an overload constantly. Whereas now, we've still got that where we're pushing our wing-backs fully up the pitch, but the three centre-backs can usually cover each other and they usually have either Kante or Kovacic in front of them. So it's a lot more defended. And then when you've got that, you've literally got five in attack when you consider the wing-backs as well. So there's a lot more balance to the team. And like, people forget that Frank went 17 games unbeaten. We didn't look as assured as hey, we did now. Look- Emery went 23. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I true. think these can be misleading. With what you said about the formation... It's a thing now, isn't it? And I can't think... There was a manager that spoke about this recently. Um, it may even have been too cool, but they were talking about the formations and how these days you don't really have one formation in a game and you do have the formation in possession and out of possession. 
Yeah. I know Arsenal's has been going from like a 4-2-3-1 to like a 2-3-5 when you have the ball so you can press higher up the pitch. And Chelsea's obviously is the same where you have the five there. But yeah. it's not like, I think you put a picture in of, was it, was it the first Atletico game? Where you yeah. took a picture of their back like six. Yeah. And so it's not a back five like that, is it? It's a back five when it needs to be. And then the rest of the time, Exactly. It's an attack. The five at the back is meant to be an attacking formation when it was first used. Mm. And it is now, to be fair, because I would definitely say that we play with three at the back, not five. I would say that it is three in defence and then five at the front with two in the middle. That is the way that we play. Even against the bigger teams, we still play that way. And I think it's different to Conte's three at the back as well, because that was very much a five at the back and then with counter-attacks. It's actually impressive to see that we're winning these games and keeping these clean sheets by keeping the ball, not by just sitting back and defending, which like it bores a lot of neutrals and it bores a lot of commentators, especially when we draw. Cause yeah, we you're win, not fun to watch us no, say exa- that. Exactly. Whereas, if say for example, if it's a 1-0 everyone's singing Tickle's praises as a neutral pundit. If it's a nil-nil, it's a, oh, this is just woeful to watch, this is just rubbish. And it's, it's a very fine line. And it's true because I can sit through watching us win one nil and have all of the ball because we know it, it's a lot easier on my heart because I'm not seeing fucking attacks coming in from everywhere. Um, however, when it's nil-nil and you're approaching 75 minutes, you are thinking to yourself, you just fucking have a shot. Or can we create some kind of opportunity? Because that's the only failing of this team so far under Tuchel is that I don't really remember any guild edge chances. The scoring penalties were scoring like well-worked goals. Um, but there's never anything where I've seen them run clean through on goal, which is where you're going to see the best of Werner, apart from the disallowed goal against Liverpool because of the high line. What, what have you thought of the uh, Chelsea players that have been coming out with the kind of Nailed digs at Frank um, Rudiger, someone himself, where he said, "I think this time we have a coach that knows what he wants." Um, you can see that the players are adapted to it very quickly. Um, Jorginho said about, "We've got a manager here who knows how to get the best out of the players." Uh, what do you think about that? No, at the end of the day. They, they were dropped by France, so they're not going to hold any kind of star. Alonso may have been the it. kindest about him, and he was dropped the longest out of all of them. I know. I think what they're saying is completely true at the end of the day. I think as much as we love Frank, and if I think we're totally honest with ourselves, it didn't. we didn't look like a team. We looked like oh, we'll, see into, we'll, see, we'll turn up on the day and we'll see what happens kind of thing. That's what it felt like under Frank. And you could tell within the first 10 minutes what way it was going to go, where we were either going to overextend and get hit three times on the break and lose 3-0 or win 3-0. And whereas with Tuchel, it's very methodical to the point where you kick off the game and it's just an inevit- inevitability that we're going to score and it doesn't look like we're even going to concede. So... So we are the, calling it Frank's failings and not... I wouldn't say it's Frank's failings because if Frank was... You're being kind, dear. If Frank was as established... If Frank was as established as Thomas Tuchel, 
then yeah, you would call it a failing. But <laughs> if he if he was just as good a football manager as him, no, it would be fine. But as it is, he's just not. That's that's what I'm saying. So Frank was always going to be learning on the job. That was his second season as a manager, essentially. You can fail while you're learning. I guess it's how he learns from it, though. That's you want to put something in the cot next to Frank there. <laughs> I think it's how he learns from it. I think his next position is going to be really interesting. And they were still failings at Chelsea. You, you yeah. pointed out he's yourself got, the way yeah. certain players are playing now compared to how they were playing then. I think the one way that I can sum it up the best is that when we had when, when Frank was the boss, we looked kind of devoid of options. I was looking at that squad and I was thinking, oh, shit, well... They're not playing that well. Havertz isn't doing well. Where does he even fit into the team? We haven't really got that many wingers now either. They're all like forwards, essentially. They're not wingers, wingers. And I was looking at the midfield and it's like, if Jorginho and Kovacic don't work, then who have we got? Got rid of fucking Ross Barkley, what are we doing? Whereas now, in every single position in this formation, we can lose one of Kante or Jorginho and have Kovacic, Mount can drop back. You've got defenders in Zuma... Christiansen, Thiago Silva, Rudiger, Aspilicueta, they can all play across the back three. You've got backups at wing-backs with Hudson-Odoi, Reese James, you've got all over the pitch. You've got, you can change that front, front three about three times and still have really decent options. So to make me have that viewpoint, I would probably have to say it is Frank's failings, but it's to be expected. If Tuchel had come in at Arsenal and we were talking about was it Arteta's failings or Tuchel doing well, what would you be saying? <laughs> uh, I think we, I think we both know. Yeah, we, I think <laughs> you don't need to say it. No, we both. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. you do obviously look very good though. Um, I've been impressed how quickly he's been able to implement what he wants in terms of the, yeah, he looked like an elite possession team already. How think, quick, whatever he's doing in those training drills must be a mad. I, I think you're right because when you look at it and we go back to the question of Frank's failings, Tuchel's or Tuchel being great, you look at it and for the first like half of last season, Frank was in, well, it's still a new team, and the, and the first half of this season was in, the new signings need to integrate and it all needs that we it's going to be time's going to work in progress. And Tuchel, he's made us look like the finished article within ten games. They were uh, shocked in the Atletico game at the fact Kante was playing well, which was the most baffling thing on commentary. <laughs> it was like they'd never seen him play before. I know. So oh, it's the second coming of, of Kante. I do think it's down to Tuchel's management of him as just game time minutes because he's been running to the ground by Sarri and by Frank to the point where he's just injured all the time because he's played every minute of every game. Well, they both said he was a different type of midfielder as well, didn't they? Because you thought when Frank came in that he was going to be played differently and then Frank said, well, I actually agreed with Maurizio um, <laughs> yeah. with the fact that he isn't a defensive midfielder. I think that is is because he's so mobile and he covers so much ground. I think they think he can be both. Whereas, mm. like now, sitting in front of that three, he has the license to press high and he can run forward if he wants, but he doesn't have to cover so much ground because he's got someone else holding just in case he's not there. Plus three centre backs. So I think workload-wise, he's come to fruition a little bit more now because the shackles are off. He's not think he's just thinking about his game, and what he's good at. It's almost like a striker that's had the shackles taken off him in that sense that he can just concentrate on what he does well, and the more that he does that, the better he gets. It's when you start 
making him do four or five multiple jobs, attack, and then be in the box to defend us when you have an issue. So one, one of the more crazy things about Tuchel at Chelsea is already there looks more of a structure and a plan in place than he seemed to ever get at PSG. And I know there's obviously egos and stuff to balance there, but when you watch them in the Champions League, it felt just this is a team with enough attacking talent that they're just going to go out and try and win that way. And there yeah. didn't seem to be this sort of structure and planning place there is at Chelsea, where no. I'd say that they're pretty much a, a clinical cutting edge away from being the completed team. When you watch them now, as Jack kind of touched on, great possession, solid at the back. You wonder sometimes if they are going to score because they don't create a lot at this point. But mm. this is so early into the sort of progression under him that you'd think that's going to be... I've always thought you'd rather... It's similar with Arteta at Arsenal, where I would rather have the sort of the base in place where... Okay, they're defensive, defensively solid, and can be boring some games. Can be a bit better at others, but I'd rather have that in place than not know what you're going to get. Yeah, there the, is, I think yeah. the, the Chelsea fans that were critical of um, Frank being sacked in the nature that he was are going to be grateful with Tuchel getting half a season before going into next season fresh. Yeah, I think again it smacks of like 2012, really, where it wasn't working and the leadership at the bridge, the board make the sometimes in that case with Andreas Villapos, it's very popular decision, but this time very unpopular in contrast, but they make the hard decisions when it counts the most. And as much as they got absolute pelters from a lot of people, myself included, when they say, Oh, that's it. They don't have Chelsea's interest at heart. That's the only thing they have is their interest is Chelsea winning and Chelsea playing well. And, they will. They've shown they can make the hard decisions to make that happen. The only thing that worries me is that the inevitability that Tuchel is probably going to end up getting sacked at some point. <laughs> hey, I think um, he, I think even he knows that. That's why you 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 sign as long a deal as you can so you get a decent payoff when it happens. Yeah. If you t- think you were loyal to Frank, um, <laughs> from memory, Alex was weirdly loyal to Vias Boas when we were in sixth form. Spurs fans were in general. It was an odd sort of <laughs> Stockholm syndrome they had going on with it. <laughs> hey, look, um, if you have a manager with good hair, it does charm you. That so there's not many of them out there. <laughs> there's a tweet that sticks in my mind. Like, you know, he used to do that weird touchline crouch thing constantly, just be <laughs> like crouched down. So when we won the Champions League, it's did Bielsa not invent that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Somewhere in Portugal, in Andres Villas-Boas is crouched down watching the TV of Chelsea winning the Champions League. <laughs> but one thing, one thing I'd say about Tuchel, though, just before we move on from that, is that he's a very open manager. If you listen to his interviews, and I don't know if any, many rival fans do. He'll, is it? He's a good boy fan, that. Yeah, <laughs> he'll say it exactly how it is, and it's so refreshing to hear it. that It's like that against Sheffield. He didn't say, oh, well, I thought we controlled the game from start to finish. He came out and said, no, we, we looked tired for the first time in mm. 14 games. We we looked like we weren't in control. And you could probably say that we were lucky not to concede a goal in that moment. And I was like, I'm glad he said it. Because mm. there's, there's nothing to be gained from like a Mourinho kind of batting down the hatches, yeah. siege mentality where he comes out. I thought we can we controlled all that game. We, that's exactly what we look like against Sheffield. We like, need Southgate to put on an accent like uh, <laughs> Tuchel, yeah. next presser, and he might charm us. I I like it as well. Like Jack, I do wonder if when things go wrong, 
maybe that's where it starts to unravel and that uh that other reputable podcast you mentioned maybe they the points they were making go into it a little bit when it's well, a yes. player turning on him they just bank on having a league title before it unravels is the, I, I, I think like with Tuchel you look at it in Chelsea especially after getting rid of Eden Hazard we're not a team of prima donna stars that have massive egos they obviously have egos which you saw in Frank but they see that, right, we need to work hard. If we're going to win something, we need to work hard. Whereas PSG, it was almost like expected. It was kind of, right, let's give the ball to Mbappe, Di Maria and Neymar. And we're probably going to win everything. It, it, whereas here, they seem like, right, as long as we all pull together, there's a good chance that we're going to be a force. And that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like everyone working for each other at the moment. It's, it's annoying when a player has an ego. Sorry. It's annoying when a player has an ego, but it's more annoying when some of these bums have egos that's irritating when they've got it with no justification yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's the absolute worst but... like a Neil Mopé type character <laughs> yeah Christ the, I think Gwen Doozy has a bit of that he does, yeah. Yeah. he's been he's been exiled at Hurton now as well is that so yeah I think he uh, Arteta's been proven <laughs> right there because every club he's been at now it clearly is a piece of work isn't it <laughs> yeah, um, he says um, whenever a player actually uses the word bad boy, even when they're saying, look, I'm not a bad boy, it cringes me out to start with. And he has come out and said that, that it's, it's all a fabrication. But yeah, they, they've done it. So, I mean, he, he's still getting some games, but they've already come out and said, look, we aren't going to be extending this for next season. So <laughs> um, I think that tells you as much as you need to know. The only other thing I would say with, with Tuchel, I've been obviously pretty effusive in praising Tuchel. One thing I've, I guess there's two things that I find interesting where you could look at Frank's failings more. That one, he hasn't really got Werner and Havertz playing hugely better yet. I think Havertz is just starting to show a little bit what he can do, but obviously nowhere near what we think he's capable of. And Werner mm-hmm. is kind of carrying on in the same vein where you watch the games, you think he's doing all the right things, but he just isn't scoring the goals to, to back it up really at this point. So he's kind of improved players that Frank wasn't able to improve at this point. And he's con- so the situation isn't overly different. So hey, he had Havertz in like a false nine against that Aleti, didn't he? Yeah, and he's like... After I, I called look, for it. I tried yeah. telling him, I said, Frank, take my blueprint. Frank <laughs> tried it initially. Just Havertz just didn't play particularly well and then got COVID, didn't he? He didn't look but like a footballer. <laughs> and I just, I do find it interesting. I think the media would probably focus on this a little bit more if it wasn't Frank and there was a manager they maybe had it in for a bit more but I do find it interesting how much the other day they were focusing on how United Chelsea looked and you know you had the three players celebrating the stands on the pitch they were all together and they were commenting on the, what a great harmony he's produced it I did find it interesting normally they'd be looking at the outgoing manager and be saying well what's going on in the room then because these players yeah. weren't happy in the room and they didn't really bring that up which I thought was interesting well you can tell Even the players that were celebrating I didn't think like if it was Alonso, Jorginho and I don't know, Rüdiger celebrating in the stands but I always thought like Mason Mount is obviously that kind of character anyway, Chilwell similar, Thiago Silva does just seem mm. like he is kind of he may have been charmed by the pair of them but I, yeah. I feel like the media would look a lot more into like why are the players showing such okay, there seemed to be kind of a way of, it was quite outwardly look at how United were but, but the thing is, I mean, you look at it, in BT Sport, Frank was a pundit on that. Match yeah. of the Day, Frank's been a pundit on that. And then Sky Sports, Jamie Radnapp's his cousin. Going to say half his family on Sky Sports. <laughs> so he has a monopoly that 
really. Mm. No one's going to have a go at him on there because no. they're all mates with him on everywhere that we watch <laughs> football. If it was like, interesting to see what happens with um, Thierry if and when he takes over at Bournemouth because they do like keeping these this lot sweet for when um, they want to bring them back as pundits after. And <laughs> these managers do seem almost more sensitive than the players at times. Something yeah. I didn't mention before we uh, sign off. In the Jose interview, he actually says that he thinks the players should be looking and reading about what the pundits and things are saying about them, which every other manager says the opposite, don't they? Where they say, look, you've just got to kind of blank it out. And Jose said in that, he doesn't think that you should take too much from it, but you should at least be looking at what people are saying from you and maybe you can learn a few things about yourself from there. I think he's, uh, I think he's clutching already. I think he's already... He does like the press anyway, doesn't he? So he probably does enjoy reading about himself. <laughs> Any which way he can. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll keep Jose in for as long as we can because it's going to be an entertaining ride for as long as we go. Mm. That, that clip of him hugging Terry before the game yesterday was as pure evil as you'll ever see <laughs> in one frame. It was like if you put Jafar next to Maleficent from the Disney films and had them <laughs> teaming up, it was sickening to see. Is that Kissed give him you on the PTSD cheek, as an Arsenal fan? Oh, crikey, it, it wasn't pleasant. Although uh, <laughs> Arteta actually has as many wins against Jose in the league now as... Uh, Wenger, so there we go. <laughs> Setting levels. Um, <laughs> but there we go. I think that does us for today. Giving Alex plenty to uh, listen for while he's pretending to work overtime tomorrow. So I have this image of him just sat at his desk, just watching the clock tick by, adding up his overtime hours. <laughs> but hopefully his boss isn't listening. Or if he is, yeah, then... send that to his employer. See what they say. <laughs> but anyway, thank you again for listening three episodes of movie madness that you will get later this week and we'll be back next monday next monday monday (laughs) goodbye